Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to the Sticks in the Six podcast. Here are your calls, Andrew Forbes, Peter Barracchini, and Alex Hobson. Welcome back for yet another fantastic episode of Sticks in the Six podcast here. Episode 121 brought to you by the fine folks over at the NDL House in Toronto, as well as our friends over at VSN Podcast Network. And Peter, uh, as as our as folks can see as as they're tuning in here to start the show, we are without we are man down as the Leafs will be, uh, which we'll get to in a little bit here. But uh, no Alex tonight, which you know, um, life gets crazy sometimes. We understand it. We've all yeah. been through it. So shout out to Alex. We we uh, we hope that uh, we'll get you back on again next week and uh, get to break down a couple of good games with the Maple Leafs. Obviously, <laughs> not everybody wants to be talking Maple Leaf hockey right now, but. That's what we're here to do. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, as always, here with my co-host, Peter Barracchini. And uh, Peter, this is kind of your second role on the uh, second role for the day. Uh, obviously, you, you kicked it off this <laughs> afternoon with a little leaf talk on, on another show. And give us a little rundown of uh, what took place this afternoon. Yeah, this afternoon I was, did an interview for a CHCH Hamilton um, uh, show called Trending Now. So obviously they were talking about the Maple Leafs game and went on to talk about the craziness that happened in game one, the bunting hit. And, you know, at that time he was having the hearing, but the ultimate or potential suspension that he was going to face. And yeah, it was kind of like my TV sports debut as sort of like an analyst critiquing the team or whatever. So it was actually kind of fun to be a part of. Crazy, crazy little uh, intro into the uh, the broadcasting side of it. Yeah. Eh? And, um, obviously, you know, like as you mentioned, you're breaking down what's going on in game one and the Michael Bunting suspension. And I, we all know that Leafs Twitter exploded the second the Leafs went down 3 nothing. first 20 minutes of round one, game one series against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, but uh, before we get into all that, I think we... You have it on our, our on our talking points here, something that we didn't mention last week. But uh, shout out to the Toronto Six, who won the first ever Canadian Isabel Cup, bringing the cup to Canada. Um, you know, we haven't seen a Stanley Cup in quite a while, so it's nice to see the ladies get it done and bring that yes. north of the border. Uh, so shout out to, to all the members of the Toronto Six to, to, to make that such a such a meaningful part of, of women's hockey and trying to mm-hmm. to continue to grow the game. Uh, I think it's heading in the right direction, um, but for them to to be able to to you know win that series and bring it home, it's uh, nothing better than a little taste from the uh, from the old Isabel Cup. Absolutely, Con- huge congrats to them! And uh, I was at the Jays game on Sunday, first time checking out the new renovations this season, and uh, the Toronto Six were there throwing out the first pitch, and the Isabel Cup was there. In all of its glory, so they were shining bright, it in. baby, oh, shining yeah. bright. Especially in the sun with the roof open and you know twenty five degree weather in April, you couldn't ask for anything better. Is there a worse way to uh, enjoy and or take in a uh, a ball game? I, I I couldn't I couldn't imagine I couldn't imagine. Uh I mean, it, I mean, it was just kind of like like in what sense? Like just the overall like game oh itself, man the roof or... I'm, I'm just i'm being sarcastic with the roof oh, okay. open and being able okay. to you know take in the a little <laughs> a little hockey aspect in the baseball game as well and then oh, obviously yeah. like you mentioned the new renovations at uh at i'm, I'm still gonna call the skydome i know it's Rogers, Skydome, yeah. but it's the skydome <laughs> forever for me 
Um, Perfect combo. And, and yeah, exactly. So, um, but yeah, so let's let's get right into leaf leaf hockey here. Um, obviously, game one was a tumultuous uh, game for the the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. The depth of the Toronto Maple Leafs was supposed to be the highlight of this season, um, bringing in guys like O'Reilly and Achari and Luke Shen and Jake McCabe making his playoff debut, um, and definitely didn't turn out the way they wanted it. Um, that said. It, uh, it's definitely, ho- well, hopefully a wake-up call. We'll see what happens. I'm not dead set on jumping into the panic that we've seen on Leaf Twitter, and we all know what ex- what to expect. Game one, round one, lost to the Lightning. We knew what was going to happen when, when Leaf Twitter saw, saw what was taking over. So um, I'm not jumping into that. As I mentioned to you uh, to lead off the show here, mm-hmm. I've kind of stayed away from – from Twitter the last couple of days, oh, just because I know exactly what to pain. expect. Um, pain, man. Yeah. I'll go on and quickly make a post and then I jump right back <laughs> off because I'm like, I'm not scrolling. I'm not going through this shit right now and seeing what's being said, but yeah, um, it was, it was, it was something that like I would scroll through just to see the reaction. And it's like, listen, I understand where everybody's coming from, but I understand the frustration. I understand the anger, but bright side, it is game one. It's not five. It's not six. It's not seven. It's game one. Let's see what happens. But there is, you know, a bit of cause for concern right now. No doubt. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, as we mentioned, that's not the way you really want to kick off the, uh, the series. Um, a lot of storylines coming out of it, obviously. Um, but uh, let, let's kick it off just with your, your impressions from game one. What, what did you see that kind of maybe went wrong for the Maple Leafs in, in, to, to kick off this series? Can I say everything? I mean, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, everything that possibly went wrong could go wrong for this team. I mean, there's no doubt about it. They were flat-footed, uh, turnover right at the very beginning. Obviously, Justin Hall with weak coverage on the first goal. Zach Asari still clearing attempt. They weren't strong enough. They weren't physical. They weren't ready for the speed and basically the tenacity of the Tampa Bay Lightning. You knew what to expect after the that game where they won 4-2 in the second last game of the regular season, you were prepared. You played extremely well and there, and you rested a little uh, like three of your regulars in that game. You knew what was coming. You knew you were going to get the best. Why were not, why weren't you prepared? And, and this is the, this is the like infuriating part about this team because we know how well they're good or how well they can perform. The main thing is the consistency in which they play, especially game to game in the playoffs. Consistency during the regular season, they're good for stretches for five, six games, and that's enough to possibly win a series. But right now, when it matters most, it seems like they have this mental block around them. Like they can't push forward. They always, you know, try to play safe and they get nervous and they fumble with the puck a lot. That's what, what was happening in game one. You know, they were trying to be calm about it, but at the same time, they they were deer in the headlights. They weren't expecting of it, but they should have been prepared. You know, you you knew who your opponent was going to be since November, December. You faced them towards the end of the season with their full roster intact. Obviously, Headman's uh, game time decision. Chernak is out. We don't know what to expect with uh, Jeannot, but that was their roster. There were no changes. The changes were on your side, and basically you faltered. And not only that, even when there was a glimmer of hope, I know we're going to get to the bunting situation, but that was the dagger in the heart for this team. That, that penalty, the officiating itself was just God awful throughout the whole entire game. I'm just going to put it out there, but that penalty alone from bunting, that's what sealed their fate. That, that was the most heart wrenching way to try to basically lose the game when you've gained some momentum in that second period and you were playing lights out hockey, despite a poor first period. I, I have to wonder how much uh, how much it affects a team when you play those games down the stretch that don't mean anything. You sit players, and I know I know you want a little bit of that break going into the playoffs, but at the same time, like if you're playing competitive hockey right up to the end of the uh, the regular season, all of a sudden you're not you're not kind of sitting back, and then you got to find your groove again, as you mentioned. And, and Sid Sixero mentioned this on Breakfast Television as well. Like the Leafs knew their opponent in the first round of these playoffs since. Back in November, December, January, you knew it was Toronto, Tampa Bay 
from the beginning of the season. You knew what was going to happen. You knew what to expect. Yes, mm-hmm. both teams are going to make a couple moves down the stretch to try and bolster their roster. But at the end of the day, you knew exactly what to expect. And the Leafs came up flat. They came up flat. They didn't yeah. – 3 nothing lead in game one in the first period – and, and credit to, to Samsonov, and we'll talk about this in a sec, but credit to Samsonov for coming out and saying, you know what, this is my fault. I played like shit. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, mm-hmm. you, you know, you can't you, – don't credit him for, for having a, uh, you know, having a rough game. It, it was a terrible game. It was a terrible game. We know what his experience is in the playoffs. It's not great. Um, and, and, and he came out and he owned that. And, and credit to him where, where it's due, he, he, he did own it. Um, was the officiating bad? Yeah, it was it was it wasn't great. It wasn't great. That said, there were some penalties that were penalties, and mm-hmm. and as you mentioned, we'll get into bunting in a second here. But when you when you had a little bit of momentum, you let the whole game shift, and when the whole game shifted like that, all of a sudden, you you give that momentum back and you hand it. And I'm I'm a big believer in momentum. I think if you have it. All of a sudden, everybody buys in. You saw Ryan O'Reilly yelling at his teammates, getting trying to get them going. This is an MVP. This is a Con Smythe player. From and when it worked. His, when his team went from dead last at Christmas to winning a Stanley Cup that same year, this is a guy that knows how to get it done. The team at this point has to buy in. They have to find a way to buy in. And the reason, I'm, like I said, I'm staying off Twitter. I'm trying to avoid what's going on here. Um, because I know it's game one and yes, the Leafs have given up home ice advantage now, but when you get to Tampa, I, I truly believe that there's going to be a lot of Leaf fans in the house. I, I truly believe that, you know, if you have a good enough team, you can kind of block that out. And I believe this team is built depth wise to, to, to make a, make a run here and they need to find a way to get it done. And that includes guys like Sam Snob. That includes, um, you know, and, and I don't mean to sit here and, and, and shit all over, you know, Justin Hall, but you're on for six of the seven goals against. Yeah. 31 yeah. shot attempts against, 19 shots for, six against, and even high danger, 21 scoring chances against. This guy this guy had a, a, a small run of good games to close out the year when games meant absolutely nothing. Okay. But when they mean something – he, it, he he is he is holding that stick tighter than mm-hmm. like a fat kid on cake okay like this this guy this guy does not know what to do with the puck he does not know what to do in his own zone he panics he's on for six goals against in game one of the playoffs i was gonna write a piece about lilligren being the seventh defenseman and i held off and thank god i did because right now my opinion is that lilligren comes in for game two Justin Hall's got to sit. He has to. It doesn't he look like to. that based on the lineup or the line rushes at pra- practice, but I do agree with you. There is no way that you can have that kind of a performance and still come back and say, I, I, I still don't understand what the fixation is with Sheldon Key still going to Justin Hall, even after a poor game. Like you look at the numbers, that's absolutely atrocious. And you see with his play, whenever there's any sort of pressure, he panics and he turns the puck over. He gives it away. He like just fans it and the clearing attempts is just absolutely poor. If in the playoffs right now, that kind of play is what gets you hemmed in your own zone. Like even like I mentioned off the top about the, the first goal, Corey Perry, he has an opportunity to, you know, block him out, push him and keep him along to the boards. And what does he do? He lets him in. That's an, that's unacceptable. And I, I honestly think that if, you know, I, I hope he proves us wrong and has a bounce back game in game two. I'm not holding my breath because we're going to see the exact same play from Justin Hall and you should not play him anymore because he costed you along with many other factors, a game where you could have probably taken back one or two goals. Yeah. I, I just, my, my thing is like, I, I, I understand that nobody's going to convince Sheldon Keefe not to play Justin Hall for whatever goddamn reason, but this is a guy that's been hounded all year by all of it's it's not like a small group of Leafs Nation. It's like everybody that cheers for Media, this team. Everybody is like, "What are you doing? Mm-hmm. What are you doing?" And this isn't a one year thing. He had the same issue last year. And you know, if you're an analytics person, I mean, you read out some of the analytics here. Like, it's his analytics have been terrible. 
his his plus minus if you're an old school plus minus person his plus minus is terrible this guy literally cannot get it done and you have a guy like timothy lilligren who yeah maybe had some rough games down the stretch but has shown growth and development over the last two seasons that maybe you you put him in there and say hey okay if you can do better in game two you're you're in the lineup have you ever like I don't think there's ever been a case where a coach has been fired mid playoffs, but I think if you put Justin Hall in game two and he shits the bed again and the Leafs lose, that's on Keith. I, I, that is definitely Keith, on it. Fire Keith after game two. See you later. Mm-hmm. Be gone. You know, like it's just, and, and obviously it'll never happen, but I mean, you have to, you have to start questioning like the decision making. And that, that's, unless Dubas is whispering in his ear, like, hey, you know, you got to keep putting, uh, Justin Hall in there. And, uh, you know, I think he's going to get it done eventually. Like what has he done all year? Block shots. Who's your defenseman? Which defenseman led the Leafs? Which defenseman led the Leafs in the regular season in goals? Timmy. Timothy Lilligren. Right. I'll buy very small number, but he still led them for. Still led them. Still was offensive. Still had, still played with more poise in his, in his own zone than Justin Hall has in two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're talking about a kid. You're talking about a kid. Um, so, anyways, and I like this I is why I think he should here. not be back next year. Like, I, I honestly think if you bring him back, that is a fireball offense because he has done nothing and he hasn't done anything in the playoffs. And even last, even last season, what was it, game five or game six? Cough the puck up in a key key moment. I think mm-hmm. it was game six. Cough the puck up in a key moment. Yeah, no, I, I just – I don't know what the answer is here because it doesn't seem like – you know, it, it seems like some of these things are so obvious to, to everybody outside of the team. And then when you get in that dressing room, they're like, yeah, Justin Hall's the guy. Yeah, He is definitely the guy, and I, I, I don't get it. But um, before we jump to Bunting, I want to get to uh, to Samsonov's comments and, and some of the comments made by the team as well. Um, you know, obviously they, they were somewhat subtly critical of the officiating. Um, you had Tavares kind of come out and make comments and, and, you know, maybe a little bit more vocal than John Tavares is used to being. You had Austin Matthews who came out and said, yeah, most of the penalties were penalties. Again, very subtle uh, kind of edge work around, around what, mm-hmm. you know, what they actually want to say. What was your take from, from the post game scrums from these guys? Like, what do we, what do we take from all of this? Well, I'm glad that Keith is going back to Sammy in game two because most of those goals, I think he probably should have had two or three. I think he probably should have had the Nikita Kucherov goal. Um, probably should have held the post a little, like bit a little bit tighter with the post on the Corey Perry goal. But then again, it looked like his pad got pushed in. There was that whole controversy where the puck crossed the line, didn't it? How can you even tell? I th- I still think that's a no goal. It was it didn't fully cross the line in my opinion, but. Whatever. I don't know how Wes McCauley saw that, but he did. Um, I, I I think, yeah, he had a couple of stinkers. But at the same time, he would made a few good saves to still try and keep his team in there. I mean, I think there was at one point, I think it was in the first period, he still made a stellar save despite his team being down. So I think Sammy's mindset is there. And when he's very critical of himself, the thing is, there's a difference between him and Jack Campbell. When he has a bad game, you see the bounce back performance from Sammy. Now, the difference is Samsonov still kind of has a bad track record in the playoffs. Can he rise to the occasion and, you know, do what he did in the regular season in a critical time right now? Because there's a lot riding on this game. If you're down to nothing, you know, I, uh, know, I, I, I want to be optimistic, but kind of like, oh, dog, you're done. When he said on overdrive today, if you're down to nothing, it's over. Because it's going to be a very tough mountain to climb back. So he needs to have the performance of his lifetime. I The fact that he was on the ice at practice today, even though there was, you know, uh, questions where maybe he could have taken a day off and rest, he was back out there working. He's got the right mindset. He wants to win. And I think everyone on the team should follow Sammy's mindset right now because what happened in that game, he's he's taking that to heart. He is very critical of himself, and he thought that that was a, a very bad game. Everybody else should look at Sammy and be like, you know what? Let's do this for our goalie. He's calling himself like he's basically saying that he had a poor performance, even though that some of their most of the mistakes happened outside of the crease. It's on them to try and buy in as well. And I think Sammy's leading the charge with that. Yeah, I think too, like you have to 
I mean, obviously, as you mentioned, they, they gave up some, or he gave up some horrific goals uh, at the same time. I mean, when you're, when you're giving up 34 shots to a team that's gone to the Stanley Cup finals for the past three years, you gave up four power play goals. Um, I'll buy some weak penalties from the officiating, but yeah, which we'll get into. In <laughs> we'll a get into that. Well. Don't worry. Yeah. And, and really your team's coming up with just 17 block shots. I mean, all of a sudden you're talking about a guy that had zero support as well. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that becomes the issue. It's not just about the bad goals. Of course you want some of those back and, and, you know, it could be even a four, three game. It could have been, could have looked a lot tighter than it was. Um, your team did not play well in front. And, and I think that needs to be a focal point as well. The team as a whole needs to come back and bounce back in game two. And I think then you can really evaluate what you've got in Samsonov because that's not the Samsonov we saw all year. And you can't sit there and say, well, his lack of playoff experience is exactly why he played as, as poorly as he did. No, it has nothing to do with his playoff experience. The team as a whole played horribly, period. Case in you point, only do so period. much. At, at a certain point when you're getting those opportunities in tight, even the Corey Perry one, yes, he was away from the post. He probably should have been tighter up against the post. The fact that you had Corey Perry at the side of the net banging the puck, uh, banging his pad, whatever it was, mm-hmm. um, and he was not cleared within seconds of that play, just goes to show you how defensively irresponsible the Leafs were in game one. And that's where the, that's where the focus has to be. But in saying that, I think you do look for look to Samsonov for a bounce back game in game two. And I, I think based on his, his season, he's had relatively good bounce back games when he comes off a, a stinker like he had in game one. Um, so I, I, I am looking for, for a better performance. I think he's, he's got to make some big key saves that, uh, you know, kind of steal the game a little bit for the Leafs. And, and, and that's what they need to, they need to see. They need a whole you know, defensive turnaround in game two. And I think then at that point you're talking about, you know, hopefully a tie series going back to Tampa Bay. But um, yeah, I, I obviously you can't put this on on Samsonov alone. You can't put it on the defense alone. This was a whole team effort that just did not work out. Um, and, and in terms of the comments made by about the penalties, I mean, let, let's get into it right now because I all year I, you and I have kind of gone back and forth on this podcast about, the officiating, the officiating, the officiating. And again, not just against the Leafs, the officiating all around the NHL right now. It has been terrible. We're seeing it um, in other series right now. We are seeing, seeing it in other series. That said, um, Shane Sini came out with a great piece at the Hockey Writers. And, and if Fantastic. you haven't read it, you have to go read it because this is a guy who's who had uh, season tickets for the Barry Colts, saw you know Sheldon Keefe play for the Barry Colts, um, in the time when Mike Danton was there as well. And obviously um, their agent Frost was a big part of that. And we all know the backstory to Danton and Frost and Sheldon Keefe kind of never really, never really came out and touched on that all that much. Um, that said, Frost's brother-in-law, and here's the tie-in, Frost's brother-in-law is Wes McCauley. They are also very good friends. Wes McCauley is now roughing NHL games in which Sheldon Keefe, who is reportedly a accuser of, of what Frost was involved in. Um, and, and the tie-in is now that there is a conflict of interest. And, and even if there isn't, even if Wes McCauley is literally calling it as he sees it, there should be no questions at all. There should be no question mark at all that there's even a tie-in between the two, between Keefe and Wes McCauley. The fact that Wes McCauley is even refing in this series is a big question mark to the integrity of the NHL at this point. Um, There there are seven other series going on right now. Wes McCauley could have very easily drawn any other series, any other of those seven series. He could have been out in Edmonton doing the Edmonton series. He could have been in, you know, in, in with Minnesota. He could have been, you know, with Vegas, like, there, yeah. there are a number of other opportunities for Wes McCauley that he could have been a part of, and yet he's roughing the series against a guy who at one point was a um, a, a client of his brother-in-law, and his brother-in-law was accused of whatever he was accused of, right? And and we won't even get into that, but it's it's the it fact that there, that's. Though. 
Yeah, the, the mm-hmm. fact that like everyone can go and do their reading if they want. I, I want to get into the logistics of this because I, I to me, like the integrity of the NHL needs to come into question. If, you, if that if you're even putting this storyline into into a series and then at the end of the day, if you look back on the last seven games that Wes McCauley has has refed for the Maple Leafs in the playoffs and that doesn't even include that includes going back all the way to 2017 when Sheldon Keefe wasn't a part of the organization. There are some major, major question marks in terms of how badly or how poorly the Leafs lose when Wes McCauley is is, is uh, officiating one of their playoff games. I don't know if you saw that stat. I did. And everyone is going to point to, oh, but the Leafs were 5-0-1 in the regular season when Wes McCauley was roughing. And it's like, yeah, regular season. But also in those regular season <clears throat> games, Wes McCauley was then again trying to do everything in his power to like manage the game and try and twist it and pull it out of Toronto's favor. Like I think one of those games was the St. Louis Blues one where Zach Asarese gets high-sticked in the face and there's no call. I mean, Toronto still managed to end up and win, but those calls in those games are still egregious and still troubling that he's still not doing his damn job in making a simple call and following the rule book. And everyone is going to say, oh, like I've seen too many times 5-0-1, but 0-8 in the playoffs. And most of those were deciding elimination games. What does that tell you? It can't be a coincidence like, this is something that the NHL really has to look at because it is a problem. You can't have this and just sweep it under the rug. They have to know about the history of everything going on. And if they don't, then they're just as complicit uh, uh, like in fixing all these games and everything like that because it is a joke. Now, there, like you said, it's not all in the officiating because there were some warranted penalties. But... After Toronto made it 3-2, there was a phantom slash and a cross-check on Luke Shen where he used one arm to push a guy. One arm. By definition, a cross-check is both hands on the stick and you literally cross-check the guy from behind with your stick. If maybe you want to call roughing, fine. But even then, that's still the wrong call. That's a clean hit. Just shows that Luke Shen is strong as hell. And the fact that you were able to call those two weak phantom goals, what happens? Braden Point scores 4-2. And then that's when all hell breaks loose after that. He dictated the game. Everyone knew what was going to happen into that game as soon as we saw Wes McCauley. Everything that we or the fans were saying and predicted happened. It can't be a coincidence. Quick shout out to Cody who's tuning in as uh, once again and, and Cody, thank you again for for tuning Thanks, in weekly. Uh, top fan on our on our Facebook page, so appreciate it, buddy. Um, yeah, I mean the whole West Macaulay conversation. Like, here's the thing, and, and I think I've mentioned this before, Peter. Is I I absolutely hate I hate um, sitting here and saying yeah, officiating dictated the outcome of the game. Um, Let's let's be let's be very clear. The Leafs were down three nothing after twenty minutes. They played yeah. horribly. They deserve to lose. At the same time, a change in the officiating needs to happen because yes, we're going to get inconsistent calling. We're going to get still getting it now. We we are still getting it, but we're going to get instance inconsistent calls. All of a sudden, that's going to translate into questionable penalties, and then players are going to have no idea as always, what they're allowed to get away with and what they're, what they're going to be called for. And that becomes the problem because now it's not a gray area anymore. It's, it's, or, or sorry, it's not, it's not black and white. Like it should be with the rule, but it, it becomes a gray area for these players and players become tentative. They, they, they tend to back away. They tend to not engage as much. And because of that, you know, different, different instances happen within the game, different situations happen within the game that can lead to whether it'd be defensive breakdowns, whether it be neutral zone breakdowns and, and plays and opportunities for, for both sides. And I'm not just saying that this is a Leafs problem. This is, this is a Tampa problem. If, if, if suddenly the game gets out of hand or suddenly, you know, the, the, uh, the officiating gets to a point where there's so much grayer, all of a sudden the officials lose control of the game. And when you have a guy like Wes McCauley, who has a history with one of the head coaches of the, of the teams that are involved, that shouldn't even be a storyline. Mm-hmm. That should not be a storyline going into an NHL playoff series, period. The fact that it's a storyline just goes to show you 
what a joke of this what a joke this league has become because now you now now it's not the integrity of the official it's not the integrity of the coach and, and and great job by Shane in in his piece in raising that the fact that you know uh, Sheldon Keefe isn't going to address the 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 West Macaulay situation yeah. and, and why would he why would he he's, you know he'll get fines you know seventy five k or whatever the hell they find him now and 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 it's going to be a whole another storyline that that kind of runs off this this indecision of the the league to pull West Macaulay from this series but. They need to look at this and say, okay, we need to re- reevaluate the officiating team in this in this series because this doesn't make sense. And the fact that this is a storyline definitely brings into question our integrity as an organization. And that that goes mm-hmm. that goes back to Stephen Walkham, who's who's running the official the NHL officially officiating. Yeah, make like look at it right away. This is the fact that this is a storyline after game one is a is a complete joke. So. I, I mean, if you, like I said, if you haven't read it yet, go to go to the hockey writers, check out Shane Sini's piece, fantastic piece. Um, yes, you know, some great some great dialogue in terms of like how he kind of came to to know the story as well, and uh, really breaks down the whole Sheldon Keith um, West Macaulay history, um, and, and definitely worth worth checking out. But yeah, I mean, it, it, moving forward in this, Peter, we got like it's going to be. A, it's going to be a different story. It's it's got to be a different story because if the officiating dictates once again the Leafs out in the first round, I think we're mm-hmm. going to be. I think all hell's going to break loose. I really do. I really oh, do. Yeah. I think we're going to have yep. like circa 2010 Vancouver Canucks uh, rioting downtown Toronto. So, um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, just, I don't want to see that. I I don't want to see that. Either. <laughs> I'm just say, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It's something that you could you could witness if if this happens. Yeah. But, um, I want to get into what we need to see, uh, in game two, but before we do, I know that I need some Indy Alehouse for game two. So let's, yes. uh, let's get a quick word in here from our, our wonderful sponsors at the Indy Alehouse. Playoff hockey is back and with it, so are the Maple Leafs getting ready for a night out or watching the game at home with the gang. What better way to do it than with a nice cold one from the folks at the Indy Alehouse in Toronto. With two locations in the city at Italy, Toronto at Bay and Bloor and the Biroteca location, they have two big screens, amazing authentic Italian food and loads of beer. Also at OG Brew Pub in the junction at Keel and Dundas with 120 seats, famous bar food and 12 taps. Indie Ale House is an award-winning brewery featuring their flagship Instigator IPA and dozens of rotating monthly special release beers. Perfect for takeout, dine-in or bottle shop online orders when planning for game night. You can find Instigator IPA and Marco Pil- uh, Polo Pilsner at finer LCBOs across the province as well. Hashtag Live Indie is the motto. Adventurous, fun-focused beers with a selection for everyone from a healthy dose of in-your-face hoppy beers for the beer geeks to mainstream Pilsners and easy drinking options. Indie Alehouse is the go-to for game day. Make sure you get your Indie Alehouse prior to game two so you can sit back and enjoy some Indie Alehouse Marco Polo Pilsner. Visit them at www.indialehouse.com uh, to make your order today. And uh, Peter, game two, buddy. Game two. This is what we're looking forward to tomorrow night, Thursday night. Um, what what do we need to see here? What do we need to see? Start on time. Um, like you knew, like you were booed off twice in the opening game. Once in the first period, once when the game ended. Is that really how you want to give back to the fans and show that, you know, you've been saying that you've been waiting for this moment all year. You say you're prepared and yet you weren't prepared, come in prepared and ready to work. Cause if you don't, then like we said, you're going to be in a massive hole right now and two, nothing against there's still dangerous Tampa Bay lightning team. Although they have regressed quite a bit, they're still dangerous. You can't count them out for a second. Puck management has to be better. And this goes from Justin Hall all the way up to the forwards. Manage the punk, but manage the puck better. I'm saying punk, even though I could go for some pop punk music right now. But manage it better because the, the way that they were moving the puck, it was very slow, it was very lackadaisical, and the Tampa Bay Lightning were clogging up all the lanes. They were taking everything away from them. They got to move it quicker. They got to utilize their speed through the neutral zone and in transition because that's the only way you're going to beat Tampa Bay right now. 
And it looks like, so last week I said that there was going to be like a mini playbook or whatever, or something, three X factors that I said that, you know, was going to be the case on Andre Vasilevsky. I wrote about that. And then my main thing was shoot blocker side, because that was a weak point last year in the postseason. David can't score a breakaway goal. And what happens? Ryan O'Reilly in the slot shoots the puck over his blocker. William Nylander from far out through traffic over to blocker. Can't be a coincidence. You have the playbook on Vasilevsky. Obviously, you still want to try and pepper him with as many shots and get traffic in front. But when you have that opportunity on the blocker side, take it because he is very weak on that side. Um, Utilize that to your advantage. Cody, that was the main thing I was talking about last week in terms of trying to get to Vasilevsky in the playbook. Um, Utilize that more because there was, there is no, it's not a coincidence that they got two goals over his blocker side. That was huge. But the main thing, have the intensity, have the work ethic, have the drive, and come out flying because you got to prove to everybody that now you're back to being a joke of a team right now. You don't want that. If you're dead set on trying to compete for a Stanley Cup, you got to show it. You got to play with that intensity that Tampa Bay plays, Boston, and every other team that's you know gunning for that championship right now. Show that you want it because in that game, we didn't see it. So for games two on, get into that work ethic and mindset and be ready because you know what to expect now. I think it's going to come down to defense, uh, defensive play. I mean, this is this is a team that we talked all year about how defensively responsible they played aside from maybe one or two instances. And, and, and they, they let the game open up and they let Tampa open them up um, defensively this, this in, in game one. And I think that was the biggest problem. I think you've got guys that know how to shut down start to utilize that start to shut down start to close it off if you win one nothing it's still a win if you win two nothing it's still a win if you win two one this there's no reason why there should have been 10 goals in that first game there's absolutely no yeah. reason um i think if you shut down defensively all of a sudden you give sammy a little bit more confidence this guy starts to steal a couple games for you he, he starts to make some big saves it's a completely different conversation in terms of like what you're doing as a team rather than, you know, who, who, who's at fault on that goal? Mm-hmm. Why did Sam's not let in a terrible goal? Like all of a sudden you're not pointing fingers as an organization you're looking at it and you're saying, okay, now we've got, we've, we've got the, we've got the playbook on how to shut them down defensively. Now we can focus on, you know, Vasilevsky's blocker side or, or getting the opportunities and good defensive stops as they do in any sport, good defensive spot stops lead to offense Every single time you're going to get opportunities. You just have to sit back and wait on them. And it might be boring hockey, but it does win championships. Look at the New Jersey devils in the early, early nineties or sorry, late nineties, um, boring hockey. Look at the Islanders, how they've been able to make some, some runs in the playoffs over the last couple of years. They play defensive hockey. They play Lula Morello hockey. It's boring hockey, but it gets the job done. And I think the Leafs need to kind of get back to that. And, and seek the opportunities when they present themselves. That's That needs to be the focus in game two. And that said... So, I was just about to sorry, say one more, one more quick thing. Like, you know how to shut them down too. You did the, exactly that in that second last game of the season. Where was that? I mean, we saw like, you know, Luke Shen make a couple big hits. We saw Jake McCabe crush somebody at the blue line. Everyone is saying that's a headshot, even though it was shoulder into chest. But you got to utilize that physicality. You got to use that to advantage. Dubas brought these guys in to match that intensity. They need to step up a little bit. I, although I did like McCabe and Shen, just got to be a little bit more consistent. I, I think that they, they're going to be hungry this time around, especially in McCabe's case, because of the fact that it was his first playoff game. I think he's going to have a very big second one. Cody quickly says, all I hear is put Lily in over Shen. Am I crazy thinking it should be Hall coming out? No, not at all. Um, I think uh, we might have mentioned it off the top of the show, uh, Cody, before you tuned in. Uh, I agree. I think, you know, Hall was in there for six of the seven goals against. Um, He's been a liability all season long, aside from, you know, a few stretches here and there throughout an 82-game schedule. And you're going to have those – any bad player are going to have those good stretches and any good player are going to have those bad stretches – I think uh, right now you got to leave Shannon. He's the human eraser. He's going to add physicality. He's going to be the guy that doesn't mind getting into it in front of the net. Um, whereas I think Hall is is a major liability defensively. And I think 
you know, Lilligren led you in goals this year, as we mentioned, albeit a very small number. Um, he adds a little bit of offense. He can he can quarterback a power play, and uh, I think he's he's a guy that obviously you want to you want to try and help develop, especially if you want to make these playoff runs over the next few years. He's part of your organization. He's part of your organizational depth. So you need to get Lilligren in. You need to find a way to get him in. And and for me, as Peter said, I don't think it's going to happen. But for me, it's getting Justin Hall out. It's saying you know what you've had your opportunity. You're on for six goals. It's not like you were on for three of the seven. You were on for six of the seven goals. Mm-hmm. Something isn't clicking. Something is not clicking. So I, I I agree with you. I think Hall comes. I needs to come out. I don't think he will, but I think he needs to come out. Um, last note before we kind of close out here on our our quicker episode here. Um, Michael Bunting, you were on CHCH, Peter, talking about the possibility of what the suspension could be. We now know it's three playoff games. Usually it's kind of give or take two games for every regular or two game, two regular season games for every playoff mm-hmm. game. So you're talking about a six game suspension, essentially based off the three games that he's going to miss for this team. Um, you had a good piece come out about uh, the comparisons in, in Nas and Kadri and what we saw over the years with Nas. Um, they play on the edge. They play on the edge. They play on that line and they, they do teeter it every once in a while. It was a stupid hit. Um, there was a, there was a tweet out there earlier today. I forget who it was, but they said, you know, one and a half uh, games for stupidity, one and a half games for, um, for the hit itself. Um, that said, we talked about it last week prior to the playoffs, who was going to, what was Michael Bunting going to cost us by playing on that edge? And here he is with a three game suspension. The only bonus that comes from this is that there is potential that maybe we see Matthew Nyes come into the lineup and add a little bit more offense and youthfulness and speed and production. But you lose a guy, a rat in, in Michael Bunting. And I think that does ultimately hurt this team. What are your thoughts, Peter? Uh, yeah. First, first thing, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. That was the dumbest thing that Michael Bunting could have done. You know, the rest are having it out for you. Do you know they were going to call anything and you give you, them an opportunity? You know, West McCauley's officiating the game. Absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it wasn't even like, you know, an incidental bumper contact. You saw his elbow make contact with his chin, with his jaw in his head. Like, if the, out of all the penalties called in that one, that was warranted. And if you're still complaining about it, how it wasn't that bad, it was bad. It deserved the penalty. And as soon as they said match penalty, you knew he was getting suspended. And I honestly thought you were looking at one max, maybe two, three to me for a player that doesn't have an uh, suspension history is just, you know, NHL player safety, just throwing darts at a board. I think right? like we've talked about before now, I do think he should have been suspended max two games because like you said, one is one game in the price equates to two in the regular season, six games for a player that hasn't had a suspension history. That is really, really disappointing and absurd for me. Still should have been suspended, but three games is way too much for me. Overall, like I said, the Maple Leafs were in it at that point. They just gave up a power play goal and you go ahead and do something stupid and selfish like that. And as I mentioned in my three X factors is the play of Michael Bunting. Will he keep things in check? Well, I could check that off because he did not keep it in line. You know, like you said, he plays on that edge, just like Kadri. And when you do something stupid like that, you hurt the team. Now, is this going to be a hindrance in the top six? Because you are seeing Kelly Yarncroke bump up and he had success with that uh, Matthews Marner line. Not really. My concern is, you know, Alex Kerfoot on that second. Good thing is Matthew Nyes is coming in, so you do fill out and add some more skill, like you mentioned, to the roster. But if Michael Bunting is on top of his game and he's not doing stupid stuff like that, he is an absolutely effective player. And when you take him out, yeah, it's a bit of a hole, but you know what? The Maple Leafs can fill that. And you know what? You have the speed and tenacity, maybe not much of being kind of a rat kind of player in Yarncrogue, but he's quick. He's agile. He's got a bullet of a shot that can get the puck uh, past goaltenders. That is a good addition to the top line. And now, not only, not only that, right now, I Bunting's are uh, going to be a UFA at the end of the season. We knew what happened with Kadri after those two suspensions. He was shipped out of Toronto. Is this possibly the last time, or one of the last times that we see Michael Bunting in a Maple Leaf uniform? 
are you going to take that second chance like you gave Nazem Kadri to try and turn things around in the playoffs to Michael Bunting after what happened last time? I don't think Dubas is going to take that risk. I think maybe he walks. And I think it, resign I, him. I think it all depends on who your GM is. That is true. At this point, at this point, it doesn't look like it's going to be Kyle Dubas. I really don't yeah. think it's going to be Kyle Dubas. So I think I think it's going to all depend on who that GM is. But mm-hmm. I, I do want to bring up um, something that uh, Scott Wheeler just posted on on Twitter as well about uh, the the um, the, uh, the suspension itself as well. The there was a similar hit on on a Tampa player earlier in the regular season that cost I forget who the player was, but it cost them three games. Um, very similar hit. And as you mentioned, Michael Bunting does not have a history of suspension to, to give him three games right off the hop in the playoffs on a, on a, yeah, it was a stupid play, but Mm -hmm. you know, he was, he was battling for the, he was trying to battle for the puck. I I won't deny that it was a dumb play. He should have been suspended. I agree. But I think as, as Scott Wheeler said, I think you can agree that he should have been suspended and, and disagree with the length of the suspension. Absolutely. I think, one to two games would have been suffice. I think you make the statement, you you change the outlook of the of the series by by suspending him even a game. Um, all of a sudden, Leafs lose home ice advantage again, and instead you're you're giving him three games. You're changing the outlook. You're changing the outlook of the entire series. Um, so I, I I disagree that it should have been three games. I, I agree that he should have been suspended. I agree it was a stupid hit. Um, I, I do like the idea of getting Matthew Nyes in there and see what he can pr- provide for this team. I do like the idea of getting Yarn Croak up on that top line and seeing what he can do with Matthews. Obviously, Matthews enjoyed playing with him. Um, but One yeah, more, uh, just a I, stupid, stupid play. I was just going to throw a hypothetical out there. If the Maple Leafs get past this, they win a few games, come back to Toronto, Bunting is, is able to play in what, game five? Game five. Game five. Let's say that happens. Matthew Nyes plays lights out hockey. Would you sit Matthew Nyes for Michael Bunting to come back into the lineup? I, you know what? I, I, I can't give you an answer right now. Cause I'd have to judge on how Matthew Nyes plays in these, in these few games that he's mm-hmm. going to get. Um, but if you can, if anytime you can throw a rat out there and, and get some of the, the opposition off their game, I think you throw him out there. Um, and, and he does produce. If he's a guy that goes out there and just stirs the pot and doesn't produce, then I think it's a, it's a no brainer. Uh, you sit him, but at, at the same time, I think now Michael Bunting, knowing that he's got three games to sit and kind of think about what he did, I think all of a sudden he's going to come back with a fire lit under his ass, and I think he's going to change. He's going he could ch- potentially change the outcome of a game. So Definitely. I Definitely. think I think you, you have to consider all those aspects mm-hmm. as well. Um, and I do think like you know he comes back with a fire and 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 maybe. Maybe as an impact player in games five and six or what what have you, depending on how long this series goes. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, again, I think three games is too much, but uh, you know we'll see we'll see what happens in game yeah. two tomorrow and on um, tomorrow night in Toronto. I wonder if because of all this, we there was like a bit there was at one point during the season where there was a little bit of a confrontation between him and Keith on the bench, and they try to brush it off, saying that you know what, what it is, what it is, we understand each other, fine. I wonder if that leash is a little bit short right now, considering what happened with this suspension and the for hit sure. itself. For sure, for sure, knowing knowing that you know Dubas's job is on the line with Toronto, Keith's job is on the line with Toronto. Um, I think there, I think the leash is very tight. I think the expectation in Toronto is very high right now on what, what you want from this organization and mm-hmm. to, to go into another, yet another series. I think it's the fifth straight year. The Leafs have had a suspension in the first round. Um, going back, Jason Spets last year, Wayne Simmons, the prior year or Kyle Clifford, the prior year, Kyle Wayne Clifford, Simmons, the yeah. year before that. And then the two years prior to that, it was Nazem Kadri. Mm-hmm. So you're you're talking about five six years that I this would be the sixth year that the Leafs have had a suspension within the first uh, first uh, series. Um, so worth noting as well, I guess. But um, aside from that, uh, do you have a prediction for Game Two, or are you just gonna kind of kind of hope for the best? That's a that that's a tall ask you're asking me from there, buddy. Um, I'm just hoping for the best right now. I mean, I don't want to give a prediction because they need to prove it. Like, like I said, off the top, like off the top of the show, they need to prove that they want to win. 
So that's all I'm asking for is just a complete 60-minute effort. That's all I'm hoping for. I think it's a tighter game in game two. You see the Leafs come out with a a 3-1 win over the Tampa Bay Lightning. Sammy shines, and uh, we're going to Tampa tied at one. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But uh, anything else you wanted to add before we close out here, Peter? Uh. No, that that's basically it. Um, you know, got a couple things on the go with draft prospects and profiles and stuff like that. So just be on the lookout for some stuff in the future. And obviously, depending on what happens in the next few games, look out for some leaf posts and everything is to be determined uh, in terms of topics because who knows game what can game, happen baby. at this point. Exactly. Just take it game by game. That's all I, that's all that matters. And I see Cody still says Leafs in five. Leafs in five. I love it, buddy. Straight. I love I love, love the, the optimism, Cody. I love the confidence. A little too um, optimistic for me, but I still love it. <laughs> Shout out to Cody for tuning in again yes. this week, as always. Shout out to our our, our brother in arms here, Alex, riding around mm-hmm. in the passion wagon. Um, hopefully we can great video. We, hopefully it was. Check great us out video. on TikTok as as uh, you know, Alex added a great video with his passion wagon to TikTok. Otherwise, as always, thank you folks for tuning in once again to another episode of Sticks in the Six. You can follow our sponsors in the L House and VSN uh, Podcast Network. Um, and, and they, like I said, get get some NDL House beer in you for game two because it's going to be a wild ride, I think, here in the first <laughs> round once again. Otherwise, as always, you can check the three of us out on Twitter at Andrew G. Forbes, A. Hobson Media for Alex, and P. Barracchini for Peter. Some great stuff coming out over at the Hockey Writers as well as we continue to go through this. Otherwise, you can check us out on Twitter at Sticks in the Six Pod. That's S T I X I N T H E six I X P O D. You can check us out on Instagram, YouTube. This will be up on all your streaming services over the next couple of days here. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can get a notification every time we go live here on the YouTube channel. Um, otherwise, hit us up on Facebook, find us wherever you can. Uh, we go live every week. With that, my friend, that's it for us here on episode. 121 of Sticks in the Six.